When you're sick, you want more than just the idea of medicine to make you well. You want a real cure. Today on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel shares that your faith isn't based on a bunch of ideas. No, it's rooted in the real person of Jesus. God put theory into practice when Jesus was born. In that tiny town of Bethlehem, in that dirty little barn, your rescue became a reality when Jesus entered the world. He is the cure for your greatest needs. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Isaiah chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Gift. the most important thing anybody has ever said about Jesus is that he is God's gift for you. And this is why we give gifts at Christmas time. It's not just to keep our economy going forward, and it's not just to pay everyone's salary. We give gifts because we are responding to God's gift of his own son. And I'm here to tell you, everything in your life truly is a gift. Everything is a gift. The things that you really want are a gift. And the problem that you and I have is that oftentimes we forget that everything is a gift. We forget how blessed we have been, how much God has given us. You realize you didn't invent the air or the lungs that can process the air. You did not invent food or your body's ability for food. You did not invent your eyesight and your ability to behold things. You did not invent your heart beating. You just experienced the benefits. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, the fact that Jesus is a gift means everything. It means everything. See, for many of us, we realize Jesus is a gift. And Jesus, the son, was given to everybody. But there is a difference. Because when a gift is given, a gift also needs to be received. Now imagine this. Imagine I got every single one of you a gift. I wrapped it up. I put your name on it. And I said, here, I got you a gift. Some of you would be like, oh, Fusco, thanks so much. That's so kind of you. And others of you would be like, well, you know what? I really don't want your gift, Fusco. I don't trust your gift. Maybe I didn't like it. Maybe I don't want something from you. When a gift is given, a gift also needs to be received. And my friends... Faith is the hands that receive the free gift of God. Faith are the hands that reach out and accept God's gift of his son, Jesus. And my question is, is have we reached out and received that gift? With the heart of faith to say, thank you, God. I believe for some of us, you're like, yeah, well, I don't really want God's gift. My question would be, why? Why? 
why would you not want what God who created and sustained you wants to give you? Is there anything more foolish than that? I think for others of us, we have reached out and received that gift. But what I want to tell those of you who have already received Jesus through faith is that the key for you and I is to keep our hands wide open because we live our lives by faith as well. And so part of the Christian life is learning how to walk through life with a heart of gratitude, always receiving God's gift that is Jesus. For many of us, we received the gift of salvation, but now we're going to do our lives on our own. We're like, I've received Jesus and I've been forgiven and now I'm going to live my life based on my own ideas. That's how you end up with the spirit of being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were so good at being religious that they didn't actually need God. And many of us are like that. We have received the gift of faith and now we're like, okay, now that I got saved and Jesus saved me, now I'm going to go do what I need to do. And I've been in church so long and I've heard so much good teaching that I just know what God needs and I never have to ask. That's as bad of a place to be as of never receiving God's grace in the first place. Because you notice Jesus never got upset with the unbelievers in the New Testament. He got upset with the religious people who didn't need God. So my friends, we need to learn how to cherish the gift of God. We need to learn how to live our whole lives with a heart of saying, Thank you, Lord. Today, I am reaching out my heart once again by faith to receive the gift of Jesus because not only do we receive faith unto salvation, but it's also faith unto sanctification, the process of being changed. That doesn't happen by works. That happens by faith as well. And the Son is a gift, a glorious gift, a gift that gives and gives and keeps on giving. You know how you get those gifts from people? They're like the gift. That's the gift that keeps on giving, like when your in-laws buy you for your little kid, like a 2,000-piece Lego set. Every parent knows what I'm talking about. That's like the gift. It's like, it's like the backhanded gift. Because the Lego is, is the judgment on your foot, right? You have your kids, they dump it out. You know what it's like to have to clean up 2,000 Legos every single day? You parents know what I'm talking about, right? Because after a while, you're like, oh, forget the Lego, you know? And then you step on one later, and you start cursing your in-laws. No, not you. I would. I'm like, I'm going to give them a puppy next Christmas. Pee all over their carpet. We'll see how much they like it. But God ain't done with me yet either, so I might be the only sinner in the house. But hey. But Jesus is a gift you keeps on giving, and Jesus is constantly revealing new things to us. And we need to embrace and cherish God's gift. See, this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Just a, a few chapters earlier, in my Bible, it's in the exact same page as Isaiah 9. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. See, the Lord is blessing humanity with the gift of Jesus. And my friends, we need to learn how to cherish that gift. To live our lives perpetually in gratitude of such an amazing gift. I think for many of us, we're stuck in a cycle of focusing on the things in life that we don't have. 
rather than saying thank you for the things that we do have. It's so easy. How many of us, Christmas morning, maybe when you were kids, where you got the things that you wanted, and it was so exciting for like two hours. And then you go and you see your neighbor and you're like, oh, you'll never believe what I got. I got me a hockey stick. And they're like, well, I got myself a pony. Look at your hockey stick. Why didn't I get a pony? Or you're like, I got me a a Hot Wheels car. And then your neighbor's like, well, I got me a remote control car. And then all of a sudden the neighbor down the street actually got themselves a brand new car. And you're so big, why didn't I get the brand new car? Why, why didn't I get the remote control car? I hate my car. We need to do battle to realize that what you really need, God has already given you. And the reason we find no pleasure in these things is because we are got our eyes on the wrong things. It's all a matter of perspective, my friends. I just had this recently. I was talking to a friend of mine going through some struggles in his family. And, the, fam- and the, the family struggles were real. And he was lamenting about the issues with his mom. And he was so frustrated. And he's like, you know, my mom is just, it's just such a mess. And finally, I got frustrated. And I said, bro, this isn't going to be a, a sucker punch, because I'm telling you I'm going to do it. So I'm telegraphing my, my punch. I'm like, but I got to tell you, I'd give anything to be able to fight with my mom right about now. And he knew that I lost my mom about almost 20 years ago now. And he was like, ooh, that changes things, doesn't it? I'm like, it sure does. The old saying, I complained about my shoes until I met the guy who had no feet. And I think for a lot of us, we're so used to being frustrated about what we don't have that we never actually say thank you for the things that we do. Amen. What I love about this passage is that the truth of God is not kept in the realm of ideas, but it is real. It's not God saying, I'm a gift for you, but now we have a child being born and a son being given. It's not just theory. It's real, and it's real life. And my friends, we need to cherish the gift of God's son because Jesus is not the reason for the season. He's reason for everything. In him we live and move and have our being. The gift of God's grace is the gift of God himself. When we receive Jesus, we get a relationship with God. We get the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We get to be a part of the family of God. And my friends, no matter what life looks like, that is a beautiful thing, an amazing thing, so powerful. So first we have that the Son is a gift. Now look at what happens next. In the middle of verse 6 it says... And the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, this teaches us that the son is also a ruler. And not a ruler like a piece of wood with notches on it that you measure by. The idea that he is a king. He is a ruler. The government being upon his shoulders. Now, I already told you that we're going to get more about that in verse 7. And so we're going to focus on the government of Jesus next week. But notice it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
we find that Jesus is a ruler. And it's amazing that it says that the government will be upon his shoulders. That means that Jesus single-handedly holds up his own government. That's a powerful idea, isn't it? I mean, you got to think about in any, whatever country you're from, the government is held up by a number of different variables, whether it be the economy or the elections or the military or whatever it is. Jesus bears up his own government on his own shoulders. Jesus does not need us for his kingdom. His shoulders are broad and strong enough to bear his own government. But he wants us to be a part of his kingdom. How awesome is that? He doesn't need help with his kingdom, but he invites us to be a part of it. Now, my friends, listen. When you start talking about Jesus being a king, Jesus being a ruler, I realize that in our generation, and really in the West in totality, for the way that the Western countries, the United States was founded, that we don't like rulers. We say, listen, absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. And so we look at different forms of government. We say, we really don't like a king because in every single example we have, we have one person who has all the authority. They are totally blessed and everybody else is left destitute. We have all sorts of historical evidence. And so we look at the American government. We say, this is actually a good thing because no one person has all the power. We have checks and balances. So All the different branches of our government needs to go bad for this thing to go bad. And we're grateful for that because we realize that one person with all the power will be bad for the people, right? And that's what we learned. That's a historical fact. You've never seen a ruler who has all the power who is actually a blessing. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not like everybody else. See, when you have a ruler, a king, who is loving and self-sacrificial, compassionate, and benevolent, him having all the power is actually in the best interest of his constituency. See, Jesus does not need checks and balances because Jesus does everything based on pure love and kindness, so much so that he laid down his life for us. And I think the key for you and I, as we think about the fact that Jesus is a ruler, is we always have to remember that you and I are citizens of two kingdoms. We are citizens of heaven, and we are citizens of this earth. And the key for us is that we always remember which kingdom takes priority. Now, I realize that this is going to be a challenging statement, what I'm going to say next. And I realize that when I say this, some people are going to not like what I'm going to say. But listen, the dynamics, the ethics, the economics, and the politics of Jesus' kingdom runs on a different set of values than the ethics, the economics, and the politics of the world that we live in. And we need to subordinate our views of earthly government under the authority of the greater kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. And the people of God are meant to be a subversive agent in every form of government, in every culture and time, 
because the ethics of Jesus is different than earthly ethics, including 21st century American ethics. Too many of us, I believe, are busy being accommodating to a set of values that Jesus has already weighed in the balance and found wanting. Now, I'm not saying that we abandon the public square. I'm saying, I don't know that I want to be accommodationist to something that Jesus had to die and rise again for. And you and I need to get our eyes off of whatever our politics are here and say, what do the politics of Jesus look like? Because you know what our government says? Our government says, we will make our enemies pay. And Jesus says, I will lay down my life for our enemies. American economics says, build and build as much as you want, unqualified, greed. Jesus says, I want you to give it all away. And in the midst of that, we find ourselves stuck. And I'm here to tell you, the tension's the blessing for us. Because in your heart, you say, you know what? It can't be what all these people are telling me. Jesus, what are you saying? And that's why when you read the book of Acts, you realize that there had never been a group of people like the early church in the midst of the Roman Empire or the Greco-Roman Empire or 15th century Europe or wherever they find themselves. The people of God, because of the kingdom of Jesus, live differently within their host culture because they realize that they are citizens both of Jesus' kingdom and some sort of an earthly reign, and they choose Jesus' kingdom over the earthly reign. And my fear for us this Christmas, amen. My fear for us this Christmas is that we are so used to subordinating the kingdom of Jesus to earthly politics that we've completely been salt that loses its saltiness. Something to pray about, isn't it? Challenging word for us. But Jesus' rule is different. And what's amazing, you read church history, you'll find that in every single, in every single culture, the people of God struggle with, do I just accommodate whatever the structure is, or do I subversively resist it by being the forerunner of the kingdom of Jesus in the midst of it? And my friends, listen, as I said, the tension is actually the blessing for us. The fact that you feel the tension and you're saying, God, what do I do? That's the blessing. Because we're not just fish along a current of life. We're not just sheep being led to the slaughter. But we are saying, God, what is your will for my life? Because I have a dual citizenship. And God, I am going to let the kingdom of Jesus rule this thing and inform the way that I live my life right now. Why? Because Jesus is the ruler. And don't miss the fact, his title in the Bible is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which means in the end of the day, when it's all said and done, he gets top billing. So it makes the most sense not to choose somebody who is subordinate to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. Now listen, I realize that's a challenging word. And I, I realize that. But listen, I got to pass along the challenges. God challenges me with it. I have to. I have to say, listen, we have to question certain things. We have to make sure that we are not availing ourselves the things that God has already said. No, no, no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Everything about my kingdom tells us something different. And I realize, just like you, there is a tension there. And God wants to do a work with us within the tension to see his kingdom come and his will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. And you realize and I realize that if his kingdom is going to come 
and his will is gonna be done, then my kingdom and my will has to go. Someone's in and someone's out. And if we're praying, Lord, we want your kingdom and your will, then my will and my kingdom, if it's not lined up with his, it has to go. It gets displaced. But guess what? We'll get to talk about that more next week. Aren't you excited? Yeah, oh yeah, real excited. So (laughs) the son is a gift. Absolutely, the son is a ruler. Now look at the end of verse six. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, this is what I want to teach you about this. This teaches us that the son is indescribable. That's what this teaches us. The son is indescribable. You might be like, well, hey, hold on a second, Fusco. There's all these descriptions of who he is. But if you, as we're going to look at each one of these descriptions, what you're going to realize is, is that words are lacking when it comes to describe who this gift of God, Jesus Christ, actually is. And each one of these phrases are pregnant with meaning for us. And so we're grasping for language to try and understand who is Jesus? Who is this son who's a gift, who's a ruler? It's kind of like the love of God. You ever read in the book of Ephesians that the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God which surpasses all understanding? Paul prays that the church in Ephesus would understand what is not understandable. I love that. He's saying, look, you can't understand it in its totality, but you got to search it out anyway. God wants to bless you with understanding of what is infathomable. Same thing with the character and the characteristics of Jesus. He is infathomable, indescribable, but yet we still try. And I think that these descriptive words are really powerful for us. It's interesting. If you read conservative Jewish writings, as they're translating Hebrew into English and other language, they actually never translate all these names. If you literally, if you read like an English translation of Hebrew writings, they'll say, in effect, his name will be called, and they just transliterate it, Pela Eho Elez El Gibor Abi Adar Sar Shalom. You know why they do that? Because they realize if they actually write it out in English, then they run right into the Christian claims about Jesus as the Messiah. All of these details run you right into why Christians have believed that Jesus is God, the Son of God, Messiah, because it's all right here. And so Jewish scholars, they say, look, we just make it one big transliterated name because we actually don't want to get into the details. Jesus is Thanks for staying with us as Pastor Daniel shared that there is tension when you live in the world but don't align yourself with the world system. This tension proves that you belong to God because you're not giving in to the way the world works. You learn that you can stand firm and seek out how the Lord wants you to move in the world. He will show you the way to walk through life as you simply respond to Jesus. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I ask it in Jesus' name. 
And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel unpacks some of the names and characteristics of Jesus. As you go through the list of names from Isaiah 9, you'll discover that Jesus is wonderful. He's extraordinary. As you begin to grasp how miraculous he is, your life will be transformed from the inside out. What was once a black and white world will be filled with riotous color and the fullness of life. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Humble Sacred. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.